This week's Ed Surge podcast is brought to you by Amazon Future Engineer. Amazon Future Engineer is a comprehensive childhood-to-career program aimed at improving access to computer science education for children and young adults from underserved and underrepresented communities. Visit AmazonFutureEngineer.com to learn more. That's AmazonFutureEngineer.com. Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge podcast, where every week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young. I'm the managing editor here at Ed Surge. We're a national nonprofit newsroom covering innovation in education. For years, Lexi Henniger has been tutoring children in China. She's never met any of these kids in person, but it is hard to tell that when you hear her talk about it. And I taught students, they would be on their iPad, and they took class everywhere. I've taught on the sidewalk in Beijing. I've taught on the back of a motorbike where the student was just riding behind the mom and taking class from their little scooter. Uh, I've taught in lots of restaurants and shopping malls uh, in China. So I've been able to see parts of China, not just their homes, uh, but they would also take me on their vacations and take classes. So I felt like I really got to see a lot of their culture um, and also meet their families. All those tutoring moments that she's describing have taken place online, via Zoom or other video platforms. Which means that Lexi has been doing the teaching from her home in Indiana. Specifically, in a space she designed for the task. So I created a little classroom in my basement in a storage closet. So it had some pallet shelves already built into it. Um, And because I'm so short, it made a standing desk for me, the shelving in the closet. So I just put my computer and all of my props around my desk. And then I hung some curtains and twinkle lights. The twinkle lights were made to evoke a sense of playful magic. And it all kind of has seemed like magic. Here she was, this American educator, standing in her basement, making real connections with students and families half a world away. They would... um you know, bring their little siblings to come say hi to me, their parents, their grandparents. Uh, Sometimes I would have grandma or grandpa who didn't speak any English, but sitting off to the side watching class so that they could learn. Uh, And then my children would sometimes come on camera and say hi to my students. So they got to meet a friend in America. Uh, So my students were always really excited to meet my children. So for some of the students that I had taught for a long time, some of them for more than a year, um, I really felt like I got to know them. I got to see them grow up and change. So it was really fun to build that connection. It fit her schedule. She could get up and do hours of tutoring before her own kids ever woke up. She would typically start her day of online instruction at four or five in the morning, which was late afternoon in Beijing. I, When I first started, it was just a job. I wanted to work from home. I wanted something flexible. But the longer I did it, the more I really enjoyed it because I was able to really make those connections. And so it was something that I really started to look forward to in the mornings, especially seeing some of my long-term regulars, um, getting to see them every week. This summer, though, she and thousands of other tutors across the U.S., started getting word that this magical arrangement might soon come to an end. And it was probably early August or late July. And I would be getting messages. Um, You know, I would have my different messaging apps open and some of my teacher groups of like the different mentor teams of the different companies where I was also a mentor. And they would start talking about 
things that they would see. Someone would make a Facebook post. And so they'd be saying, oh, did you see the message? Or a company email would go out and they'd say, have you read the email yet? And I would be, I was in class uh, on several occasions and I would just start to feel a little bit panicked because I started hearing about, oh, there's changes, there's some new regulations, but no one really understood them. Um, so several of them were when I was actually teaching or getting ready to teach because all the teachers were up reading news articles before they were jumping into class. So most of the things that I saw were like right before I started teaching um, in the late summer or um, during a couple of my classes. And I just remember feeling really overwhelmed and panicked, wondering, am I going to still have a job with these companies? In fact, many of these Chinese tutoring companies have recently scaled back their online operations dramatically because of new regulations from the Chinese government. On today's podcast, we're going to dig into this drama playing out in China that's having huge repercussions for many U.S. educators. To get the lowdown, I called up Emily Tate, our reporter here at Ed Surge, who's been covering this issue. And I started by asking her, why did the Chinese government suddenly crack down on this online tutoring industry? The official reason or reasons that the Chinese government has given is that they recognize that there is enormous academic pressure on children in China to be high-performing, to be the very best um, in an environment where, you know, to go to the best schools and the best colleges, it's extremely selective. Um, and then they, the government is also saying they recognize that the financial pressure it's putting on Chinese families because in this high-stakes culture around education and competition, um, families who can will pay as much as they can afford uh, to get their children extra education services. So that includes uh, weekend training centers, uh, nighttime tutoring, which is you know this industry we're talking about here, um, basically filling in their child's days and weekends um, with as much extra tutoring and training and education so that they have an edge over all the other kids. Wow. So this is reached a point where the, the Chinese government is saying this has gone too far. This arms race needs to have an intervention by the government. Right. It's sort of a, um, a concession from the government that, you know, that this has gone too far, that they're asking too much. Um, they want to give everyone a break. Um, but I think that there's also an element of, uh, you know, earlier this year that people in the U.S. were acknowledging that we have a declining birth rate and that can have um, long-term repercussions for us. So take that in the U.S. and I'm, I mean, it is many times more severe in China. And I think the government recognizes that a declining birth rate uh, is something that they need to address and in order to encourage um, having more children, they need to create a culture in which people want to bring more children into their families, into the world. Um, so it, it's a little bit of both. But then I think, and, and I can't confirm this, but a lot of people, including uh, tutors that I've interviewed, have speculated that, you know, another aspect of this is that the U.S. and China are, are kind of competing for who is going to be the global superpower. And in this race uh, to determine who is going to win out, I think there is a, some people say, a realization that as it is currently, China is allowing 
American educators private, you know, unsupervised access to their um, youngest, most impressionable, impressionable population. Um, and maybe that doesn't make so much sense. Um, maybe they don't want Western influence on um, those children. And so some people have said that, that that's playing into this as well. That's acknowledging the point that that we've been covering for a while, which is that this industry of online tutoring, it has been a huge number of Americans doing the tutoring of these Chinese children and a lot of American teachers doing it as a side gig. Do we have a sense of how big this has been in the past? I would say that the number of students in China that are um, using these services is in the millions. Um, but the number of Americans that are teaching these children, I would say conservatively 100,000, but possibly 200,000, maybe 250. Yeah, that's, that's big. And, and it's basically as we, and, and we're talking about American teachers who, because of the time zone difference of 12 or 13 hours to China are getting up early in the morning, U.S. time having these video interactions where they're tutoring children um, for a couple hours and then maybe getting up and going to their physical classrooms in America, right? Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of brick and mortar public school teachers who are getting up and doing this to make a little extra income. But there's also more than that. There's um, people who are no longer teaching in classrooms who find that this gives them more flexibility, but still a decent paycheck. Um, there's parents who homeschool their kids who get up early in the morning, um, do their tutoring, and then they can focus on their children. Um, it, there's a lot of scenarios. They're not all licensed teachers, but um, yeah, a lot of them have touched the edu- education space in different ways. So we've been talking in the present tense and but it seems like this is a time of change as the Chinese policy means that some of these companies have been forced to stop this tutoring and pretty abruptly um, from from what it sounds like from your reporting. Could you say what the experience has been for for teachers in the last couple months? Yeah, um, you're right. <laughs> it's It's tough. A lot of this is in the past tense um, or, or soon will be. But yeah, so I would so the regulations came out at the end of July and in early August, uh, the tutoring companies started started letting their um, teachers, their contractors know kind of how it was going to affect them. And some companies uh, just shut down immediately. I don't think they were making a profit anyway. And they just said, this is it. Teachers woke up at their 3 a.m. start time expecting to teach a class and instead read an email saying your classes have been canceled. It's over. Um, but the majority of the companies have uh, kind of taken a different approach. They're, they have Chinese families who have prepaid for packages in bulk, um, prepaid for classes in bulk. And I have heard of some of those classes being in the hundreds. And so depending on how uh, frequently those students take the classes and um, how long the Chinese government will allow this to continue before they just kind of put a um, put a foot down, I think will determine how long this can go on. I've heard several months um, from the companies, but I know that some of them have classes enough to be um, maybe even up to a year. 
a lot of people are skeptical that it will last that long because um, even in the last few weeks, it's it's been clear that China is not going to just kind of turn a blind eye as this carries on. Um, part of the regulations is prohibiting weekend tutoring and holiday tutoring. And there, the holidays went through, I want to say the summer holiday, um, September 1st, and China enforced it starting... I might get this a little bit wrong, but say August 27th. And so everyone's classes across all tutoring companies were canceled from August 27th through the 1st. Now that may seem like, oh, it's only a few days, but if you're used to getting that income, that's hundreds of dollars for some people. Um, and then weekend hours going away, you know, there are those, um, classroom teachers that we talked about who maybe in the summer they ramp up their weekday hours, but once the school year begins, as it has in the U.S., um, they just tutor on the weekends. And so now they don't have any money coming through that. Um, but even if you're someone who has teaches all seven days, that might be two-sevenths of your income. So 30%, that's a huge pay cut. After the break, so what happened to that teacher in Indiana and her twinkle lights in the closet? How has she reacted? And what are other educators doing to adjust? Stay with us. Teachers, educators, and parents, are you looking for new ways to show your students how learning in school connects with jobs in the real world? Join a free Amazon Future Engineer Fulfillment Center tour and spark your students' interest in STEM careers today. During this one-hour virtual tour, students will uncover the magic behind the scenes at Amazon. From Amazon's online store to your doorstep, discover how computer science, state-of-the-art engineering, and incredible people power each step of the order delivery process. Plus, you'll even get to meet a few of the amazing engineers behind the technology. Sign up today and let your students see where a career in tech can take them. You can register now at amazonfutureengineer.com fctours and discover a tour of possibilities. That's amazonfutureengineer.com slash fctours. Now back to the episode. So how did things play out for Lexi Henniger, that tutor in Indiana that we heard from at the top of the show? Well, I started to read more about the regulations, and it just did not sound good. It did not look good for the foreign teachers. And a lot of teachers were still really hopeful, thinking it's going to be okay. The company's going to find a workaround. But the more that I read and the more that I talked to some people that I knew in China, uh, so I would talk with them on WeChat, the more I realized I don't think it's going to actually end well for us. I don't think I'm going to still have a job. So I started to kind of be one of the voices that was saying, hey, you really need to look for other options. A few weeks ago, she decided for her, this was over. Technically, she could have tried to tutor a bit longer until everything really fizzled out. But she decided to stop, and she found a new full-time job that she can do from home, where she can apply her skills that she learned from this experience. And so she decided to dismantle that basement classroom space. Well, actually, she said she had her husband do it. He actually is the one that really started dismantling my teaching closet because it was so hard for me to do. I kept putting it off. He kept saying, you need to take down your curtains and you need to get rid of your props and you need to clean it out. And I just could not make myself do it because it was four years 
of all of my teaching tools, all of my props and puppets. And I just, it was hard to part with them. So he actually, while I was away out of town at a golf tournament with my son, uh, he had a two-day tournament uh, in another town. So while I was gone, he took my daughters into my closet and he let them shop for any of the props that they wanted to keep, any toys that they really wanted. Uh, so I wouldn't have to get rid of everything. So I would know that it was going to a good home. And so he let them shop and then he just helped take everything down. Um, so it's still an office space for me, but it's not my classroom with all of the toys and props and puppets. Now it's just my desk and computer and my notebooks and things like that uh, for when I move on. Not everyone, though, has been as quick to find new work to fill this gap from the lost income here. I asked Emily Tate how much these U.S. tutors were typically making with these Chinese companies. So, of course, it depends on the hours that they were devoting to it. Um, You know, how early do you want to wake up? Um, 2.30 a.m. sometimes. But I'd say the median amount that I heard was $2,500 or $3,000 a month, um, which if that's your whole income and um, you kind of, you know, just want to work 20 or 25 hours and you're making $3,000 a month, a lot of people are really happy with that. Um, and if it's a part-time job and you're bringing in that much that, you know, that if you're a married couple, that's almost a third income. But, um, I recently have heard of people who more than just being tutors are, are involved in helping recruit people to the tutoring companies, help train new hires, and they are making more like five or six thousand dollars a month, or I should say they were making more like five or six thousand dollars a month. Right. So this is a big economic hit for, for many people in the States that had sort of kind of slowly arrange their life around around this setup. Yeah, an enormous hit. And and I talked to um, one public school teacher that lives in Alabama who um, is herself married to another teacher. And she was saying basically with their two um, – you know, public school salaries, they were not bringing in enough money to meet their basic needs, not able to pay off credit card bills, not able to pay for utilities, not able to buy their kids new clothes for school. Um, so she said that out of desperation, she took this job a few years ago and it literally did match the income that they were bringing in from, um, from the school. And so losing this, and she was one of the teachers who woke up to that email the next day and and it was just over. That income was lost. I mean, this was an enormous blow to her because they had counting on this money to consistently come in. They had uh, bought a new house and taken out a mortgage um, on that home and, and, you know, kind of wondered how they were going to pay it off. She said that her husband has been donating blood plasma two times a week um, just to kind of help bring in a little bit more cash and and make them uh, make ends meet. It sounds like some of these teachers could find another side gig. What what kinds of things are people looking for and finding? Um, so I'd say there's a few different pathways. You know, there are some people who have just kind of said, this was always probably going to end this way. I I thought, thought it was too good to be true. And I was right. It happened. It's over. I'm going to find something else. They're very matter of fact about it. Um, and, you know, they, they, they may have good luck finding something else. The U.S. is in a, um, 
hiring spree. A lot of industries are. But then there's people who said this exact arrangement worked so well for me and for my family that I will not give it up. And I would say within that camp, um, which is a large camp, there are kind of two things going on. One is that they're saying, I am going to teach these classes until the very end, until I ha- maybe I have only one or two bookings a month. I will teach those classes. I love these kids. I love this job. Um, and in the meantime, they're trying to diversify uh, their contracts so that they are working for tutoring companies that have a presence outside of China. So it's, it's big business in China. Um, but in the last couple of years, it's expanded. There's, um, there's a presence in Korea, in Vietnam, um, in the Middle East, in Russia. I mean, this definitely exists in other places, uh, including in the U.S. Uh, I think the big catch there is that a lot of those companies don't pay as much because um, they're probably not able to get the families to pay as much. Um, but also it doesn't have that sweet arrangement with the hours being early morning so that you can go on to your next job. You know, if you're talking about Europe, it might be really hard to find um, hours that aren't in the middle of a business day where you could be teaching. And then the other scenario that I've I've heard about and and then I think people are exploring or have even already started is that they are taking the families that they uh, would say are their regulars. Um, so students that they've come, that they've gotten accustomed to seeing almost every single day that they've been tutoring for maybe even years. Um, they have connected with those families um, outside of the platforms and have taken their tutoring business underground. So uh, for Americans, that me- might mean they are tutoring on their own, finding their own curriculum, working out their own payment schedule, um, and just kind of making it work. And for the families, you know, it allows them to continue the relationship that they've already established. But I do think there's a feeling that they're putting themselves at, um, you know, somewhat of a risk. There, There is a possibility that the Chinese government would um, enforce the rules against this and maybe make an example of some families. It's just, it's just not really clear right now. Um, but they have, the, the government has come out to clarify that, um, private tutoring is, doesn't, <laughs> is not a workaround to the rules that they've enforced. Like that is also, um, illegal. So it, it kind of remains to be seen what could happen there, but that is a route that some Americans have taken sort of with the justification that these families are going to find the education services one way or another, it might as well be me teaching them. One of the selling points of having American teachers be these English language tutors in China is sounds like is because of the, the native English. Is that right? I mean, so I guess what has been, why has it been so many American teachers in the first place in the past? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it really does just come down to pronunciation and accents. It seems kind of trite, but, um, you know, a lot of students are getting English language lessons in school as part of their core curriculum in China. Um, I think that the idea is more that if you're being taught English by a native English speaker, and particularly one with an American or Canadian accent, um, then you're going to get your words better so that 
I don't know, maybe sometime down the line, if, if your child uh, studies at an American university, they will have a better chance at succeeding there um, and kind of moving on to have an elite uh, college or career experience. It sounds like from talking to to one of these American teachers who've been doing this tutoring, it really struck me that there's been this like human connection made that um, with the regulars, these students that they've come to know over maybe years, can you talk a little bit about the kind of human impact of this shutoff of, of these tutoring services? You know, I think there's so much to say about the logistics of what is happening, about the financial impact, that there's not a lot of um, breath left for what's happening on the emotional and relational side of things, but that is huge too. Um, you know, these teachers wake up in the mornings, it's still dark outside and they log in and there, there is a person on the other side of the screen. Yes, they're thousands of miles away, but they feel like they're in their home. They feel like they know them. They know their family members. They see them come by on screen. They know their pets names. They know when a kid breaks an arm. They see the drawings and crafts that they do. I mean, it is very personal and, and intimate. Um, and so for teachers who have either already lost that in sort of the sudden ending that we talked about or who know that that loss is coming, I mean, they describe themselves as, as grieving those relationships. Um, and, you know, some, some who are, you, you know, classroom teachers in America have told me it's just different. Like they've been with these kids for years rather than seeing them in eight month, um, cycles or, uh, you know, they just, ha- they get so much respect and reverence and appreciation from the Chinese families, whereas they kind of feel, um, undervalued and underappreciated in the U.S. And so, ha- it, like, it, the, the, the interviews I've been doing have been emotional. And, um, I think it, it's really because of that is because they feel like, uh, they're going to be disconnected from those students and maybe never hear or see from them again. For Lexi Henniger, it's a real sense of loss, not just for her and other tutors, but for the students. Definitely the teachers will miss the connections that they've made with students because many of us had regulars that we would teach every week, sometimes for years and years and years. So we've watched them grow up. So we're really missing our little students, but they're also missing us. Um, And I know that there's been many students who are just heartbroken that they don't get to see their teachers. They had been really comfortable learning with those teachers every week. And so it's a really hard change for them for that to be gone. Now that basement closet is just a pretty standard home office. All that magical lighting and props are gone. That closet represented four years of teaching and connecting with the students. And, you know, it just made me remember all of the classes I taught, the way that I'd made the students laugh with the different props. And it was just so hard to get rid of that because it had become a lot more than a job. And so it was hard to get rid of all of that, those years of work that I put into everything. This has been the EdSurge Podcast. Every week, we bring you stories like this one. Special thanks to Emily Tate, a senior reporter here at EdSurge, for all her hard work on this issue. You can read all of her coverage at edsurge.com. You can get to it from our podcast show page. And while you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly podcast newsletter, where we always include links to bonus materials about every episode. 
Find that at edsearch.com. Look for the newsletters link at the top right. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young. You can find me on Twitter, at jryoung. I'd love to hear from you. Music this episode by Kamaku, and we found that on the free music archive. We'll be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks for listening.